0: having trouble staffing up? You're not alone. Our industry is facing an unprecedented labor shortage and tech will play a central role in solving that problem. Yelp Kiosk was built in 2018 for restaurants who couldn't afford to pay a dedicated host. In 2021, Yelp Kiosk is supporting restaurants that want to do more with less. By adding Kiosk, your host is no longer trapped behind the host stand, enabling them to assist in all front-of-house operations. Learn more about how Kiosk can help your restaurant at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash kiosk. Now here we
1: go. The one thing I do compliment myself for is not having changed anything resisting those requests from different vendors and so forth, trying to get us to change to their products. So we didn't do that. We kept true to what the restaurant always was and will always be.
0: Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators served up on the house. For 50 years, Randy's Donuts has been a Los Angeles staple. That iconic giant donut seated above the restaurant can be seen for miles and on the big screen. One man, Mark Kelligan, looked at that donut and saw more than a restaurant. He saw an international brand that could transform this tiny restaurant into a global phenomenon. Today, Mark shares the tactics and tools he's using to take Randy's Donuts from one location to a thousand.
1: Well, I started a legal career back in 1987, and I practiced until 2005. When I retired, I had spent a good number of my legal career representing women who were victims of sexual assault and men who were victims. I'd done well financially, and then it was time to retire because I hadn't seen my family really working seven days a week. I got into the casino business at that point in time, which I'd already always been an investor in, but I went into management in Los Angeles and San Diego County. And so right now, I currently still operate a casino in San Diego called Ocean's Eleven Casino in Oceanside and manage with my brother another casino in Los Angeles called Crystal Casino. My life is pretty challenging in the sense that I'm running different companies, but every day of the week, whatever is needed most in any company is where I direct my attention. So I've been doing that since 2006. And lo and behold, about 2015, I had come to decide that this was definitely not a business I wanted my daughters in. And I was looking for a business for them that they could last with, stay together for a long time, and really truly operate as a family business. And I know it sounds silly, but I went on a website that no one goes to called bizbysell.com. And it's a place where brokers who are selling businesses who don't have customers or clients to sell them to advertise their business. And I saw this one little line that said, well known 50 year old restaurant for sale. And I wasn't even particularly considering the restaurant business. I and mean, I've always liked restaurants. We've operated restaurants in all of our casino properties. Going way back in time, I was actually one of the first, let's say, licensees or franchisees for Pink's Hot Dogs. I put them in another casino that we owned. That venture didn't last very long, but food's always been a passion. I've always wanted to get into ownership of food because it's very rewarding if you do it right. It is a risky business.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that was going to be my next question, especially when you're looking at your children. It's The restaurant business is exceptional in the way that... It's a low margin business and most successful low margin businesses are high volume and restaurants are exceptional in the way that they are low margin and low volume. How did you see that as like a solvent thing to pass along? There must have been a unique perspective there is why I beg the question.
1: But it was unique to the opportunity because when I started to look for an opportunity for them, again, I wasn't focusing primarily on restaurants. So I see this ad pop up. And I'm thinking, you know what, I'll bet you it's one of the older Jewish delis on the west side of L.A. that have been around forever. And I thought, hey, my daughter's being novices in the business world. It's something that if it's been around for 50 years, they should be able to keep it going for another 50 years. So when the opportunity came up and I called the number and it was Randy's Donuts, and I said, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And sure enough, I asked her, how much do they want? How much is it making? And I said, done, done, write it up. Because Randy's is just an iconic business here in Los Angeles.
0: So you were familiar with the brand, yeah?
1: Right. I mean, I was buying the brand. And when you look at it and you compare it, it's got a lot of great features. You talk about low margin, but it's low price point to me is more important than low margins. My dad always said, who's in the insurance business forever, you're better off selling a $500 policy 10 times than you are a $5,000 policy once. I like that philosophy. So it's not just getting into the restaurant business. It's getting into it with a recession-proof price points. I mean, all of our donuts are under $4. Most of them are under $3. And so when the economy is bad, when you're just having a bad day, you can get a treat for a couple of dollars or less. I see that as a model that's not going anywhere. And donuts by itself is what is referred to, at least to me, as a forever product. They're not going anywhere. So I was lucky. I had a family friend named Bill Allen, who is a legend in the restaurant world. He was president of Fleming's for a number of years, president of Outback, Roy's. He's been in Mendocino Farms, Habit, Bruxy. He's in a million different brands. And so I went to him and I said, Bill. How does a restaurant business that's been around for 50 years fail? And he said, You know, we just commissioned a report the year before. The answer was that, well, it's 80% of the people were saying it's just not the same anymore. And when you dial that back, you find out that someone inherited a famous restaurant or bought a famous restaurant and then completely ignored everything that made the restaurant famous and instead looked at, Can I buy this flour and reduce my cost? Can I do this differently? Can I use a different recipe? But before you know it, they've eroded the product. The one thing I do compliment myself for is not having changed anything, resisting those requests from different vendors and so forth, trying to get us to change to their product. So we didn't do that. We kept true to what the restaurant always was and will always be. And I think that's what's been a very important factor of our continued success.
0: So let me dig a bit deeper into that, because I guess my bigger question to you is, what is Randy's Donuts? Is it the best donut you've ever had in your life, paired with a world-class cup of coffee? Or is it truly an incredibly large donut seated on top of a building? Either answer works, right? But in your mind, what is it?
1: It's a great question because it's really a combination of the two. If you're a donut fan, you're going to love our donuts. Our donuts are the best. They truly are. We make everything by hand. We're using recipes that have been passed down throughout the ownership of the company. But more importantly, we only buy the finest ingredients. And so much so that we have ingredients made solely for us that no one else can buy, in particular, Our raised flour, which is the main ingredient of everything. So, we really spend a lot of time focusing on that aspect of everything. And I think that's really what has paid off for us. What we like to say is people come to see the giant donut, but they come back because of our donuts. We really believe that we produce a better donut than everyone else. Um, I know that sounds a little bit braggarty and so forth, but. When you look at the donut field out, the marketplace, it really breaks itself into three segments. There are the neighborhood donut shops where every dollar they spend on their product matters because they're not selling very many of them. They have very low price points. They're generally what we call mom-pa shops. And they're in a class by themselves because they're not paying the money for the better ingredients and aren't employing better recipes. Then you've got us in the middle, and I'll go back to that, but on top of us are the gourmet artisanal donut shops that are $4 and up for every donut. That's not who we are. I liken ourselves to be more in the middle, more of an in-and-out burger type model. We appeal to everyone. We've got a great price point that keeps everybody happy. We're never going to be as low-priced as a $0.95, $1 donut that you can buy at your neighborhood store. that's really going to be yellowish in color and sweet and really not have the fluffy, the airness that we have in our donuts. And we're not going to be a $5, $6 creation of the chef of the day or the baker of the day. And again, they're different markets. They're different segments of customer.
0: So when you acquired Randy's Donuts, I'm curious to know if you paid for a single unit donut shop, which shouldn't have cost you that much money or whether you paid a premium for the brand, because it's not like restaurants get a 10 X valuation, whatever the restaurant makes is basically what the restaurants were. So I'm curious to know, did they attribute a value to the brand and did you pay a premium for that?
1: No, they didn't. And no, I didn't. I paid 2.15 million, which was approximately a three, three and a half time multiple of their net income. So I paid a really great price for the business. And I also paid a price that really doesn't put a lot of value on the brand itself or the name itself. And that's obviously one thing that attracted me. I was kind of afraid that if everybody had gotten wind of this sale, that the price would go up a bit or a lot. It's kind of funny. I say it in jest, but there's a lot of truth to it. I was getting death threats for three, four months after I bought it. Oh, my goodness. Because, a little joking about the death part, but every athlete, every actor, every restaurateur that had ever been to Randy's over the years had always made a point of telling the two owners, the two brothers, great guys. They come to the store all the time telling them that, hey, when you're ready to sell, because they've gotten up there, <laughs> let me know, let me know. And then they decided once they were going to sell to just hire a broker and go a more traditional route. So I really feel like I seized the opportunity of jumping on it. And you know what? Sometimes you get lucky. And I happen to see the listing the very next day. So what was your
0: plan? So you're paying just over $2 million for it. For a single unit restaurant concept. There were a lot who thought I was crazy. There no argument. I would be one of them. But you obviously had a bigger plan. You saw the value in the brand, I'm assuming. Now, did you have a rollout strategy? Did you have a strategy to scale the day you bought it? Or were you like, I'll figure this out as I go?
1: I had a strategy. But again... Listening to Bill Allen, who I consider an expert in the business, he said, you know, Mark, I know you want to roll out more stores locally. And I know in the back of your mind, you're thinking about franchising, which we're very deeply involved in at this point. He said, but I want you to sit with this business for a year and a half to two years and learn every single thing about the industry and about what makes the business who it is. And I said, Agreed. So I bought it in August of 2015. I literally sat on it until 2017. And then I said, hmm, geez, got a pocket full of money. I'm going to open up so fast, people's heads are going to spin. Wasn't true. Yes, I was ready to do it, but the market wasn't ready because finding spaces, very difficult. I'd gone through a couple of brokers before I found the broker that I have today, I've had for the last three years, is Ralph Cimaruzzi of Highland Partners in El Segundo. And they specialize in just restaurants. And they taught me the real concept of, well, let me say it to you this way. The brokers I had been using before would say to me, oh, here's a great opportunity in San Diego. Here's a great opportunity in Ventura, here all over the place. And he looked at me and said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he was right. He said, you're better off growing organically from your location. So take locations that are close to where you're at. And move out that way instead of just simply grabbing an opportunity 50 miles away here, 30 miles away there. And so that's what we started doing. And in the last three years, we've grown to six stores. We're opening a store in Santa Monica and we're opening a store at Casino Morongo next year out in the travel center. Hopefully just before Coachella brings them back all out again. But we're, you know, we have a store opening in Bakersfield with a franchisee next week. So it took a while to get our own company stores going. And the reason that we built six or seven of them was because we needed to prove our concept a little bit more. There were a lot of people in the franchising world who said, you've got this iconic beast over here, you're good to go. You needed to be able to show beyond this anomaly of this giant donut next to the airport that people are getting off the plane and the first place they're going is to the donut or the last place they go, is pick up donuts before they get on their plane. And so we did that. We opened up a kiosk and we opened up inline stores. We've opened up a couple of more drive throughs and we've been able to very easily prove that, yeah, this is a repeatable process. The franchising took about two years. You have to remember, and this is kind of a lesson I would think for anyone thinking about getting into the franchise world when you're operating a single store or even a couple of stores. Guess where all the recipes were in my head baker's head? There were no manuals, no procedures, no training guides. It takes a long time to develop all that. So, again, a year and a half for someone who had the best lawyer, who was already a lawyer, who understood, you know, we hired manual writers, marketing guys, graphic artists, everybody that we need to, to bring the pool together to do it. So the one thing I would say to small players who are thinking about expanding and getting into this world, be patient. It takes a lot of time to develop it as a franchise, no matter how great your concept may be.
0: What did you learn by running a restaurant? What were the big surprises that came out of it? What were like, let's call it the foundational inefficiencies that you saw that as an outsider, you were able to come in and say, that doesn't make sense. There's a better way to do that. Were there any of those moments?
1: A couple of the lessons I learned is that there is a very, very, very fine line between doing it right and doing it wrong. It's very easy to overcook something or to get lax in how you're preparing your product. So keeping those quality standards there maintained at all times was very important. And so I introduced right off the bat a philosophy in the store which was anybody along the line from the baker to the cashier can toss a donut. If you don't feel that it's right, if you don't feel that it has enough icing on top or enough sprinkles or it looks, again, because you do things by hand, it looks a little overcooked, maybe look a little undercooked, we pull them. The baker can pull it, the fryer, decorator, cashier, anybody can. So I empower them to do that to make sure that we sell a better donut. And never sell one that's inferior. And so that philosophy has been very important to get into play, as well as the whole concept of, again, it's a fine line between doing it right and doing it wrong. And people get lax. People get lazy. People get tired at the end of the shift. So you have to constantly stay on everyone, keep encouraging them. Like our bakers, for example. Forget what the state mandates as breaks. They need more breaks. It's hard work. You're physically taking a donut cutter and pounding that wood all day long to make it. And so we try to accommodate their needs and understand maybe it's less about dollars and more about putting them in a good work environment where they can continue to produce the top quality donuts that we like at a reasonable speed.
0: I would assume that Randy's Donuts wasn't running... A mid-2000s, tech-focused, marketing-savvy operation by any stretch of the imagination. So when you went into that original location, were you able to ratchet up top-line sales by using modern-day techniques?
1: Not so much modern-day techniques. Actually, kind of more old school. The first thing I looked at that I'd been examining before uh, the operation was the speed of service. And I sat in the parking lot for days just watching customers. And one thing that I noticed was, yeah, the lines were long, but they were staying in the lines too long. So what did we do? We added more labor inside the house to service the customers, and we added windows. We added two more service windows. That made a world of difference for our customers at that location. As far as behind the scenes or back of house technology, donuts are either made by hand or they're almost completely made by machinery. We could certainly cut our labor costs by getting a cake sheet cutter, getting these other machines that take it from the fryer directly to the decorator. It's not gonna produce the same donut, it just isn't. A couple of little things we did, which was kind of funny. I wish I had one here to show you when we were on camera. They used to fill their donuts with this stainless steel fat that had this giant handle that these little women were lifting the handle up pretty much above their head, and bringing it back down. And they had to do that twice to fill one donut. I mean, talk about Mark McGuire arms. These guys, they, they said, gigantic arms.
0: Well, in owning Randy's Donuts, you're kind of in the business of selling two things, in my opinion. The first is donuts. And the second one is less obvious, which is franchises, which I would be very curious to know what that overall experience has been like. I've talked to a lot of independent restaurant owners that started franchising with the idea that then they'll be able to work on their business, not in their business. And the the franchise roadshow is difficult at best. How has that experience been for you?
1: It's been challenging because of COVID. We started with our marketing of our franchising in the summer of 2019. We're getting hit by moms and paws all over the place. And I had made the initial decision that for the benefit of our franchising company, that we would only start with existing multi-unit operators in the restaurant world. And once we basically filled the country then we could go to mom and Pa shops for fillers in different kind of places. So a lot of interest all the way through to the end of 2019, getting ready to sign deals, get down that port, and then bang, COVID hit. So COVID wiped out everybody for the whole year of 2020, domestically, barely had any response. And then as soon as the bell rung for New Year's Eve, we're getting hit up everywhere. People are seeing that covid has an ending so the guys who are thinking well ahead and ladies realize that if there's a good brand out there i want to get on it now so with that in mind we were able to sell approximately 80 units for development in the western united states between nevada and california this is all in the last four months
0: in terms of legacy brands Is this something you would recommend to others? I know that, again, this situation worked out incredibly well for you, but do you see it as replicatable?
1: I think yes. I'm trying to think of like an analogy like baseball or something. If you get lucky three out of 10 times, you're a winner. You have a 300 batting average. It's just, it's very easy to make a mistake. There's a lot of brands that have such a great product, but It may be difficult to reproduce. I think of a lot of brands that are out there that you look at and go, why aren't there more of them? Like LA, for example, has Felipe's sandwiches downtown. My God, incredible sandwich. Love it. Eat there all the time. Why aren't there more of them out there? They obviously feel probably two things. They make enough money with the one they have and they're satisfied or They really worry about the ability to reproduce it with other management and other places. And this is their legacy. And they worry about it. I'm friends with Richard Pink, that obviously owns Pink's Hot Dogs, and he takes the same attitude. He's done a few licensing deals here and there, but for the most part, he's very concerned about anyone not making the dogs and the chili correctly, and that has stopped him from, I think, becoming a two, three, four, five, whatever, 100 chain store.
0: Oh, I get it. I was just at the San Diego Fair and Pink's had a booth. And so I got the dog that I always get when I go to the store in Hollywood and it tasted the same. In that scenario, because we ordered food from a bunch of different places, it was the only one that was firing to order, which is incredible in that scenario that you're sitting in a booth that didn't exist two days prior.
1: But I'll tell you what, I'll bet you they operated it themselves.
0: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure
1: themselves went out and set that up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that there was no degradation in the overall experience of eating that food. It was no different than eating it in the restaurant itself. It's incredible to think that they can duplicate at that level. Being
1: able to duplicate, being able to reproduce is a challenge in and of itself. And then you've got a lot of owners of businesses that are very successful, that they themselves are just so concerned about that ability. And, and again, any degradation of the product, the reputation or the name, it is a leap of faith.
0: For sure. My next question deals almost exclusively with the result of the pandemic, which is there are tons of digital concepts out there. This seems like the, the easiest way to make money would be to turn to every donut store in the country and say, listen, You want to own a Randy's Donuts ghost kitchen. This is what the five item menu looks like. You can post it through Uber Eats. We have a strategic partnership with them. And then you've got a thousand, 10,000 locations across the country through ghost kitchens overnight. Was there any desire to do anything like that?
1: No, we looked at the ghost kitchen model and I think that works a lot better for lunch and dinner brands than it really does for a pastry or a dessert category. We've looked at it. We have Dog & Duck is our public relations company. Great guys. They've really kicked a lot of great butt for us, and it really get us a lot of publicity. Got a good marketing team. But at the end of the day, the amount of, whether it be Postmates, Uber, so on and so forth, is still a small fraction of the donuts that we sell. And it's just never become a high enough segment that I think it's worth ghost kitchening. If that's made up my own word, ghost kitchening for, and again, you're training more teams. You have those issues.
0: This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening now. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer?
1: I would say stay true to your product. Don't let people talk you into changing what you're doing. If what you're doing is right, keep going with it. Don't rush into franchising. Definitely don't rush into making a deal with a private equity or a venture capitalist firm where you're giving up a big chunk of your business. There are those who are very successful in doing that in the restaurant world, but just be careful. Prudence is really the key here. And just remember, as hard as it is for you to do it, it's going to be that much harder for someone who's not done it for the last 5, 10 years. Keep the passion in your product. Don't let them touch your product. And just keep pushing forward and take baby steps and not try big leaps.
0: That's Mark Kelligan. For more on Randy's Donuts, go to randysdonuts.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.